This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Put a binge on your friends with a Pussy Magnet. Oh, hey. Welcome, 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 my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I don't know. They're both good. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. <laughs> oh, cringe. I couldn't help myself. Anyway, I am your host, Freya Graff, and I am a holistic sex coach and educator and yoni mapping therapist. So basically, I make my living massaging vaginas and teaching people about sex. Yeah, pretty cool. (laughs) So as you can imagine, we are going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you'd never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, though, I would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this podcast, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country, and I pay respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. Now, if y'all are ready, let's flap and do this. Oh, is there such thing as having too many vagina jokes in the one intro? Whatever. I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull the couch. It's the Labia Lounge. Hey, all you labial ledge bugs. Great to have you back here in the lounge for another epic chat with an epic human. My guest today... Dr. Jay West is the first West Australian certified erotic blueprint coach, an established dancer and choreographer, actress with the hairy godmothers, and the co-founder of the social movement, The Liberators International. She's dedicated her life to inspiring individuals to reach their highest potential through merging movement, the mind, emotions, and spirit through her work with dance and yoga, meditation and pranayama, poetry... Side note, she's got a book called The Art of Raw Desire. Hot damn, that sounds pretty spicy. Um, Oh, and what's that? (laughs) Bitch got a PhD in exercise, physiology, and health psychology, as well as training in the erotic blueprints uh, by Jaya. So, yeah, no other than the woman who created the the modality herself. So I'm welcoming quite an accomplished young legend in today, as you can see, and I hope you found a nice, comfy, clitoral cushion to perch on there, Jay. I sure do. Uh, gosh, I want to be introduced like that all the time. That just be my intro when I wake up. Just like, oh yeah, that's who I am. Yeah, I can record a morning pep talk for you. No sweat. <laughs> right. Love it. Uh, so I know that the obvious choice would have been to chat with you about the erotic blueprints, but when you got in touch about this episode, I had actually already sent Jaya an email inviting her to come on the potty and chat about them because you know. 
she is the creator of the Erotic Blueprints coaching framework. And I thought, fuck it, may as well just shoot high, go straight to the source if possible. Um, So then you and I decided on a different topic, although alas, I have still not heard from Jaya, busy as she must be with all of her new sex, love and goop fame. Um, So if anyone listening happens to have some connection to her, please tell her to check her fucking inbox and get on over into the labia lounge stat. Um, But (laughs) failing that, I was just uh, saying, to you Jay off air that we might have to do another follow-up episode specifically about the erotic blueprints because I would also love to cover that um but for today I was really keen to chat about body image and in particular these amazing social experiments that you did a few years ago and I was just gobsmacked when I realized that you were the woman who did those because I remember seeing them on YouTube (laughs) they went like super viral on the world wide web um so yeah I was wondering Mm -hmm. if you could just straight up tell the listeners about those two social experiments you did just I guess a bit of a rundown and we can just yeah go from there yeah absolutely it's something I'm very very passionate about is women getting back into their body and really having self-acceptance for who they are as an individual and a bit of background I did go through an eating disorder uh, in my teens and late uh, early 20s both bulimia and anorexia Mm -hmm. and so by the time I helped found a social movement called the liberators which was about creating social experiments in public to get people questioning the status quo and self-reflecting. Body image is what I was really passionate about. Mm. And it was during a meditation and uh, also watching a TED Talk by a woman called Amanda Palmer, who's a singer of the Dresden Dolls, um, that I got this inspiration for stripping down into my underwear in a public space, which was Piccadilly Circus in in London, so a big shopping centre area, (laughs) blindfolding myself and standing there with a sign that said, I'm standing for anyone who's gone through an eating disorder or self-esteem issue like me, draw a love heart on my body to support self-acceptance. And then I just stood there in my underwear middle of London uh, and just waited for people to, yeah, draw love hearts on me. Uh, Yeah, it was like I was in tears most of it, I'm going to be honest, Um, because it felt so vulnerable and I was shaking the whole time. And to give a bit of background, so we were coming out of the train station um, into the Piccadilly Circus area and the first thing that I saw was the cops. And I was like, oh, no, I'm about to get like pretty much half naked in the middle of the streets on a Sunday lunchtime. There are families and kids around. Like, what are people going to think? I'm going to get arrested. All of this stuff was going through my head. And uh, halfway through the experiment, so I I stood in Piccadilly Circus for about 45 minutes Mm -hmm. uh, and had over 100 love parts brought on me Uh, and probably about halfway through I just hear this hello love just uh checking in do you got someone in the in the crowd looking out for you me and my fellow officer we're just standing off to the side over here we're just going to make sure nothing happens to you uh yeah and we want to make sure that you're hydrated as well (laughs) that was terrible 
just just disclaimer that was a terrible English accent so I'm sorry if I've offended any <laughs> English background um but the irony yeah the irony for me is like I'm thinking I'm going to get arrested and yet the cops is just checking that I'm hydrated like wow. that was their main concern wow uh, beautiful yeah so it was yeah, it was a reminder that when we are in our truth, when we're in our vulnerability, the people around us support us and they protect us. Um, and this was, you know, a demonstration of that and really helped mm-hmm. rewire uh, being able to show my vulnerability because I kind of like had that, oh, I just have to like soldier through this and I have to be strong and tough. And mm-hmm. it, it was that self-compassion that I needed to be reminded of oh, yeah. uh, so that was the first that was the first social experiment and, and then hang on a second I, I want I want to yeah, sure. ask a couple of questions about that one specifically Flush how long did it take Absolutely. until the first person took a texture off you and drew a love heart yeah uh well I think time's relative so my <laughs> heart was beating a million times an hour so it felt like a very long time. Mm. Um, it felt like a very long time, but yeah. In retrospect, I don't think it was probably a couple of minutes. Oh wow! Maybe? Awesome. Yeah, cool. I was gonna say. I don't, yeah, I don't very actually long, long kind of drawn out heart pumping waiting period. Just like holy fuck, what if no, like what if no one does it and I look like an idiot? Like were those kinds of thoughts running through your head or? Absolutely. Yeah. I was really, really concerned. I like, yeah, it's like, oh, I'm not going to be loved. I'm not going to be wanted. It was, uh, people aren't going to understand. Like maybe this is something that I just experienced, especially because I wasn't necessarily uh, familiar with the culture in the UK either. Mm -hmm. So I know the pressure that's uh, that's put on both men and women. This is not um, gender specific, but I was like, are people going to relate to a, you know, mid-20 white woman standing, you know, in a, in a um, supermarket area or mm-hmm. shopping area? Yeah. So I, I was getting really self-conscious that I didn't want to offend anyone because, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, there was families and people of different ethnicities there, and I was like, I have no idea if this is the right context for this. Mm. Uh, but alas, yeah, that, that feeling of that first pen leaving the hand was just like that's where mm. I just started crying. I was just Aww. like, oh, like someone understands that yeah. that first that first pen must have given permission for other people to, to follow suit because there was mm. like a constant flow after that wow. of people coming up, having a good chat, a good yarn as well, uh, and mm. all, all different backgrounds. Like I had one, um, one guy I obviously couldn't see, see the, the person, but it was a, a male talking and uh, they had two kids mm. and he, he was explaining to his kids like what I was doing and why it was so important and oh. how he loved his children like just as they were and that's what I was standing for. It was just like, oh, you know, a parent, a parent being able to talk their child through that experiment and then relate it back to the relationship that they then have with their body. Like that, that was something I wasn't expecting of the impact. Wow that it would have on like a younger generation so yeah so that felt really really powerful epic that's so beautiful I've got goosebumps Mm -hmm. 
Cool. More on that later. And uh, I will say, yeah, well, I will just add something, a little like fun fact in there. <laughs> um, so as I mentioned, the inspiration came from Amanda Palmer and somehow because it went so viral, like mil- millions and millions of views, someone ended up tagging Amanda mm-hmm. and then so then Amanda had like a direct message just being like thank oh. you I can't believe that I like you, you know I gave some inspiration for that and mm-hmm. when she did so she did an experiment she got completely naked and let her fans um draw all over her mm-hmm. and write messages and things like that and uh, so it wasn't exactly the same. It wasn't body image related, uh, but I happened to be touring and was in Berlin. So similar to where she'd been when she actually did the social experiment by the time that she actually uh, messaged us. So it was like this nice little like 360 of how creativity actually spirals and yeah, keeps carrying on. It was great. Oh, that's so cool. Amazing. Okay. Awesome. And let's chat about the other one that you did. So the next one came a year later when we were touring um, America and this was in New York City in Times Square and I blindfolded myself with a sign saying beauty isn't dependent on your external appearance, cut or shave off a part of my hair to support this message and I sat in Times Square with scissors and a razor or shaver uh, until I was bald. So, <laughs> um, and so the inspiration for that one came uh, because uh, creativity can be birthed from your greatest vulnerability. And at that point, I had very long hair, and uh, it did come from a background of like dancing, performing, modeling, and so a lot of my beauty was wrapped up in mm. the stereotypical feminine expression. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just started questioning what if I got rid of this symbol of what it is to be a woman? How would I feel? And would it encourage me to find new ways of of feeling my um, womanhood? And I have to say it was one of the most liberating experiences and it's not that I, I encourage that everyone has to shave off their hair. There's so many individual ways that we can reclaim our sense of what it is to be a woman, uh, but I remember being bald in this beautiful, like, white dress, walking down the streets of New York City the next day, and I was just, the the way that I was carrying myself was just different. Uh, Mm. And, yeah, I think it was because I had taken back all of these, uh, like, symbols of what it is to be a woman and was connecting to something deeper within me of my femininity. And, yeah, it it was such a beautiful experience. That was 2016, so quite a few years ago now. Yeah, wow, so cool. I love that you were mentioning how it kind of affected, I guess, the way you expressed your feminine or embodied your feminine and how you saw that and just this whole new, um, I guess, sense of confidence and embodiment and empowerment that you managed to find in that. Whereas I I do, I feel like it would be a really confronting thing for so many people. I remember cutting my hair quite short and it wasn't even, it was like a bob, which is the shortest I've ever had it. And my hair is super curly. So it just kind of like bounced up into a little little fro. (laughs) And that was like shorter than I'd ever, ever had it. And I just remember feeling 
pretty naked and pretty vulnerable and pretty hideous. And I was like, wow, that's so fucked up that I was like kind of hiding behind my hair and really identifying with it and using it to feel pretty or to feel sexy or attractive. Um, And when it wasn't there, I, yeah, I noticed all sorts of really confronting thoughts and like insecurities um, and feelings around my appearance popping up and the way that I held myself um, yeah, was different, but like not in an empowering way, like you experienced. Um, and that was like when I was quite, quite young. So I definitely hadn't gotten to the place within myself that I'm at now in terms of self-love and acceptance. Um, but I, yeah, I remember just Mm. thinking like, Oh my God, I can't believe hair is such a big deal. I'm never fucking doing that again. I feel ugly. Like it just was this whole thing. (laughs) Um, and I was really yep. confronted by it. So it's cool hearing the flip side of that. Cause I know, so I've got heaps of friends that have shaved their head and just been like, Oh my God, it's so liberating. And you know, then you can kind of really yep. detach from that egoic. Um, yeah. So that's awesome that you, um, had that experience. Hey, babe towns. So sorry to interrupt, but I simply had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that you've seriously got to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. And there you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies or discounts for offerings from guests who've been interviewed on the podcast, inspiring and valuable content, thought-provoking conversations, and just general support from a community of labial legends. It's a safe, non-judgmental space where you can go to ask the questions that you can't ask anywhere else, seek advice or solidarity from other like-minded folk, tell stories that are usually too much for the average conversation, and also play a role in shaping the podcast with your input. So through this group, you can submit stories that you'd like me to read out for the TMI, Sand in My Clam, and Get Pregnant and Die segments. Um, And as well, you you can send in questions or topics that you would like covered on the potty. I'm always open to suggestions and input and you never know, you might hear your story on an episode. So my vision for the group is that it becomes a really rewarding, supportive, educational and hilarious resource for you to access and be a part of. So head over to the link in the show notes or just search up the Labia Lounge group on the old facey and I hope I see you in there. And now back to the episode. I have to say, though, the the day before we did the social experiment, uh, we were walking around the streets of New York and asking, like, women on the street, how much would it, uh, would you need to be paid to mm. shave your hair off? And the consensus a lot of the time was, like, there's no amount of money that you could pay me to shave off my hair. Wow. And like, so that was, it was so ingrained into the culture of, of um, yeah, how much, uh, their identity was wrapped up in their hair, and that, as I mentioned, that it was not—it's not that you have to shave off your hair. Like I don't think um, that's definitely not the messaging. It's just even if you take that time to reflect and go, "Oh yeah, I am attached to what I look like um, with my hair." It's you, you can just own that. Just be like mm. I don't want to shave off my hair, but if there's a part of you that goes, "Yeah, I am attached to my hair," and I kind of want that challenge of mm. rewriting that, that's when you can start to look at, "Oh, do I want to shave off my hair or cut my hair?" Or there's so many different things you you can do. But I think the important point is giving yourself the time and place to contemplate and reflect. 
Totally. Because then that then it becomes a choice rather than something that you're um, like forced or burdened into and mm. um, yeah, confined by. Mm, love that you mentioned that because I, I totally have that streak where I'm like, oh, something challenges and confronts me. Well, I'm going to have to fucking face that then. I'm going to have to just do the thing that I'm uncomfortable with and force myself to, you know, grow and all this stuff. And um, I think that can be really, really unhelpful sometimes. can be helpful, but um, yeah, I kind totally. of have thought about it on multiple occasions, usually when a friend's doing it and we might have a little little sort of circle or a party to shave off their hair and they might want to do a little ritual around it and you can tell that it's this really big release and this sort of amazing like sort mm. of cleansing reset for them. And then I'll kind of reassess yeah. and be like, oh, could I do it? Like, do I do I need to do it? Maybe I need to do it because I am attached to my hair and I, I do feel like I would look ugly and why do I care if I look ugly? And, and then I go into this like, oh, my God, like personal development junkie kind of like self-shaming. Yeah. Like you should fucking just shave off your hair. Like, um, yeah, but I've always kind of yeah. been like, oh, like I feel like I challenge myself in so many other ways and I get out of my comfort zone and I do multiple other things that are uncomfortable and challenge my ego. So maybe I don't need to shave Absolutely. off. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like I think, I think, um, it really depends. Like I see, I see life as cycles and sometimes pair that up with archetypes. Mm. And at that point in my life, there was this really strong draw to activate that warrior, um, Mm. you know, huntress vibe. And so for me, it was very liberating because I was building that strength. And as I mentioned, like, um, a couple of years earlier had been anorexia and, and Mm. that real, um, you know, like softness and, and powerlessness that had arisen. So for me, I'd gotten to that point where I'd built myself up, built myself up, and I was at a point where my physical body wanted to reflect the strength that I was starting to find internally from what I'd experienced mm. years earlier. Mm. Um, so now I've, like, you know, I've got longer, big, like I've dyed my hair blonde, I'm very lioness like lioness vibes now, and I love it. Like I'm a dancer, I can fling my hair around. Mm. Um so I'm a lot softer now in in and feminine in stereotypical feminine in the way I present myself. But at that time of my life, I needed that like simplicity and to cut everything back. That was uh, just before I was going in to finish my last year of my PhD. So it was like mm. simplify everything, go in hard and finish. And as you mentioned, that was a time in my life where I. I was pushing it a lot more. I had to, um, you know, have really late nights. I was out doing things. This was just after I got back from America. And so I needed I needed that symbolic reminder of that phase that I was in um, mm-hmm. and then being able to regenerate afterwards and going back into that, like, softness and that recoup phase because mm-hmm. if we're constantly uh, going for like one challenge to another, we're going to fry our nervous system. Mm. And, you know, it's almost an addiction to the adrenaline run, a rush that we get from facing something that we uh, like uh, fear or are confronted by. So every woman I believe knows the difference or it's a relationship that you're constantly building when it's time to, slow down, recoup and not take on a challenge 
and when it is like that uh that time to activate that that huntress and and warrior energy beautifully put yeah i totally agree it's um it's kind of it can be really damaging and nervous system sizzling to just like do that whole feel the fear and do it anyway and push yourself and and i did an episode um on that with bonnie bliss it's about the underbelly of the spiritual community and some of the kind of pitfalls that um Mm. come across in that world so I totally relate to that and yeah I just I just try to listen to like where I'm at and I feel like if I ever did arrive at that place of like yeah that just feels good it's still edgy but it's gonna be good and that's what I'm I'm feeling the compulsion or the the pull to do that then like fuck yeah and even right now probably like five grand Maybe even one grand. I'd probably yeah. now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so yeah, it's, cool. it's so interesting. The, the one thing, so my PhD um, did look at a motivational framework called self-determination theory. And it's that idea that our choices can either be made from like an intrinsic autonomous place, so for yourself, like fun, enjoyment, or it's wrapped up in your sense of identity or you do it for more extrinsic, so trying to get other people's approval, trying to get um, some reward external to yourself or avoid a punishment. And so even when we were, like, chatting, I'd never thought about it in this way. But, yeah, if you're shaving off your hair or changing your look to try and get some external validation or try and prove that you, you know, are courageous or... Mm or are strong enough or because everyone else is doing it, it's kind of giving your sense of choice or autonomy away Mm. versus when you deeply feel it in yourself, it inspires you, it, like, creates vitality. It's like this, Mm. for me, it was like this bubbly sensation of, like, nervousness, but, like, I didn't, I I knew sitting down um, in in Times Square that I was not going to get up until I was bald and that, idea actually genuinely excited me Mm. and so that was a difference for me of like oh I am doing this for me it's not about anything else yes I'm recording myself because there is a ripple effect from shared vulnerability but it was very much for me that I was doing it Mm, epic so So it's always a nice reminder of yeah doing things for yourself Mm. Yeah, must have been so exciting. It was really funny to watch the video and like, you know, people who would take a little snip off here and there. And then I think it was like this one guy just came up and did a big like shave line, like right through, and then it was on. <laughs> yep, I agree. And it's, it's interesting because, as I mentioned, it was about 45 minutes or so for the first social experiment. But for that one, I was there for a good two and a half hours, three hours, because mm-hmm. people were only taking very small amounts or they'd just watch for a while and no one actually wanted to take the action. They were, but some of them were just mortified that I was even doing it. Mm-hmm. One guy, um, like, ran off with the scissors. It was like, I'm not going to let you mutilate yourself. What? It's, like, it's hair. Like, I'm just not being mutilating myself. But it was interesting because I'm obviously blindfolded at that point, so I couldn't go and get, I didn't know what was happening. But because there was a like a ring of people that was standing around, they, I guess, created a barrier from what other people were explaining and they stopped him, got the scissors and brought him back to me. So wow. I didn't move at any point, but yet the community was like supporting, even though they were sometimes scared to 
want to take the action Mm. they were there to support the message and some people just needed a little bit more um yeah leeway time to to know if they wanted to actually cut some hair off it's so wild how much like importance we put in hair isn't it and it's like definitely no coincidence that for those sort of um cultures or religions you know where they shave the head it's all about like letting go of their ego and that like it it's yeah some people and hair it's like it's unfathomable that someone would want to cut their hair off and like that I feel like that's really um I mean, totally understandable given the way we're all conditioned around beauty. And I just feel like that's so sad. Like that's sucks that something mm. like that, that has such a hold over us and makes, you know, is, feels so important to us. Um, yeah. That it would be just like the most horrifying thing ever that you couldn't pay someone any money to, to cut their hair off. Um, but yeah, really beautiful. I can imagine it just being like such an electric like energy because you're blindfolded but you just had this circle of people around you like watching holding space for you like keeping that container safe bringing back the scissors like they had your back and even if they weren't participating actively because it was confronting to them they were like there for it and there for you um that Mm. must have just been such an interesting feeling yeah yeah, especially like once the mask was taken off as well, just having everyone standing around and clapping and applauding, like it, it, it felt like very like nice to be, mm. you know, getting a round of applause. But at the same point, it was kind of like that funny experience of like, why are people clapping me? Like <laughs> I just shaved off my hair. Like yeah. does that get a round of applause? Like it was, it was very funny. Yeah. In retrospect, in the moment, I was like, oh, my gosh. I guess, like, I, I kind of feel like it was a bit clapping because it was a spectacle and everything like that, but also clapping because, like, well, they were clapping your vulnerability and your courage and they were clapping, like, yeah. you know, they were celebrating you um, for doing something that took mm-hmm. vulnerability and, and trust. Like, you put the trust into their hands and they either got to watch or participate and just mm. be part of that. And so they probably like got a bit of a transmission of that um, vulnerability and that courage and that sort of, I guess, um, non-attachment that you were, uh, I guess, accessing that maybe they couldn't. So I think it was kind of really cool that you got celebrated so publicly and you got to absorb that celebration in you when like that could have been a really fucking vulnerable and traumatic moment in the wrong context, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's interesting that you say, say trust, because if I'm honest, like me growing up, definitely even like to this day, I I don't always trust people. Like I had a huge, like hesitance around trusting people and the experience after trusting like people in such a vulnerable setting, I was like, after touring, I headed back through Hawaii to get back to Australia and I remember, like, I'm a tiny little little thing at this point um, when we're in America. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to hitchhike. I've never hitchhiked <laughs> before. going to do it. Freshly bald. I rock up. I um, landed in um, the islands in, in Hawaii and got there and was like, yep, just going to 
jump in and um, hitchhike and see where like life takes me. And it was one of those moments where I didn't plan. Like I am like I'm a doctor in, uh, and spent ten you know close to ten years at university. So I'm usually someone that plans like well in advance <laughs> with what I'm doing. Yeah. But I rocked up with no reservation of what I was doing. Um, I like had no plans and this mother and daughter picked me up on the side of the road as I mentioned freshly bald uh nice nice beautiful like flowing white dress and a big suitcase that I'd had from like three months uh traveling around uh Canada and and America and so I'm standing there and get in the the car and they're like oh where are you going I don't know where are you guys going they're like, uh, we're going into town. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, great. Let's go there. <sighs> and then rocked up into town. Um, I just followed followed my own nose, followed my own intuition, found myself at a beautiful little vegan restaurant and, uh, you know, got some lunch, still had all my suitcases and everything. We're staring at some artwork on, on the wall and um the waitress came up and just started up a conversation and then uh um she's like oh where are you staying it's like oh I don't know I only just landed she's like oh great I'll I'll call my landlord you can come stay with me I was like okay I'm I'm trusting now so I'll just keep going with it uh so I don't sorry I will preface I don't recommend this this is just a crazy (laughs) story that I'm sharing right now to show what trust happened with me um and she ended up so ended up being a lovely woman. Um, had lived in India with like Hare Krishnas, uh, completely vegan. Had gone through cancer. Was just like amazing. Mm. And we rocked up. She made me a beautiful green smoothie when we got back to her house. And I remember sitting there. Like there was even a sign, a big sign on the wall that said "Trust." And I'm there drinking this green smoothie and the first thought that came to my mind was, what if it's poison? (laughs) And it was like, it was just such, you know, it was such a reflection of like how conditioned I am around trust. Mm. And I remember going, I snuck to the bathroom and started pouring out all of the smoothie. Mm. And then I just looked myself in the mirror and I'm like, Jay, what are you doing? This, This poor woman is trying to give to you. You're trying to rewire your relationship with trust. Like mm. this, this is not like this is not matching up. Wow. You need to trust people. And so I walked back out and she looked and she's like, Oh, you finished that quickly. Here, I've got some more smoothie for you. And it was just like that moment of just giggling to myself of like, wow, okay, I have a lot of work that I'm doing around trust. <laughs> And even with the actions that I'd just taken with trusting a whole heap of strangers to shave off my hair, I was still trusting and not trusting this poor woman that was just trying to like <laughs> nourish me and like support me because I was this stranger from Aussie that had just rocked up in Hawaii and like didn't know anyone or anything. Um, but yeah, ended up staying with her for, for three days. She um, was, yeah, we'd, we'd uh, go out and, hikes together and it was a lovely lovely experience but uh yeah just found the the irony of it is like our relationship with trust is constantly evolving and you know it's very much about reading each situation as it is and Mm. and 
yeah, being with people. I think where trust, mistrust comes up when we're not actually listening to another person. Yeah. So and presuming, making presumptions, stereotyping, those types of things. Mm, so, yeah. yeah, it was a really big lesson for me alone. Wow. So interesting. It's, yeah, trust is a huge piece, isn't it? And it's really, it is tricky because it's like on one hand you can't be completely uh, gullible and overly trusting because sometimes that can backfire but then also like you just lose touch with your own intuition if you can't even trust your own judgment and then you go default mistrust um so yeah it's a funny one I've definitely grappled with that as well don't know that I would ever be at the level of level of like tipping out a smoothie but when you're traveling that's when like that's when I find these issues come up the most because you're like out of your comfort zone you're in a new place new people that's when people are being Mm -hmm. the most generous and helpful and accommodating and it surprises you and it's like oh my god the best side of humanity but then on the flip side there's also like way higher risk because of the unknown and you absolutely know, there are all of these horror stories around travel so you're kind of always like yeah. oh my god am I being a, like st- am I stupid to trust and then I'm like yeah well that would just be like so depressing to me if I couldn't trust this beautiful lady who'd made me a green smoothie like I don't want to live like that either you know um yeah, yeah. So that's great but yeah that's why I recommend like everyone everyone has to go on their their own little journeys in relationship with that yeah, but it would be interesting in this this time that we're in of, uh, you know, traveling is minimized a little bit more at the moment. So how do we still drop into that sense of adventure and rewriting relationships with trust in what we're doing? And it's definitely possible. Like in everyday situations, there's always an opportunity to connect with um, people around you to look at our relationship with trust. I really look at our relationship with ourselves, as you mentioned, like that that beautiful dance mm. between your intuition and your biases and how mm. you've been conditioned. Like Hard. we're constantly reassessing that. Yeah, big time. Yeah, that's a huge topic. That sparked heaps of stuff in me around trust, but um, I'm going to try and keep us on track because I want to do the, the segment Get Pregnant, get pregnant and, and die. die. Don't have sex because you will get pregnant. And stop, stop, stop. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have, don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise? Could you uh, <laughs> do right. a story for us for that segment um, around your sex education, something that you wished you had have learned or like a horror story about um, how your sex education failed you? Oh, so... This is a really interesting one for me because I grew up so... I was only with women until I was 24. And I remember two things happened. The first time I turned 18, I was, I'd only been with women. I was like, do I, do I go in to get a pap smear? And I remember rocking up and the doctor just being like, I don't know. Like you haven't been with any men. Like, and sitting there Googling with the doctor. Wow. <laughs> um, like, if I had to get a pap smear or not, I was like, wow. Like, and, and to be honest, it's why, like, technology, that's what technology is there for. But it was just one of those, like, really funny moments of, like, what is going on? Like, and it, again, I did get a pap smear, and I recommend that everyone keeps on track with the pap smears. But, 
Um, yeah, that was definitely an interesting experience. And then a couple, like, so yeah, 24 is when I started sleeping with, with guys. And it was really interesting because I'd never had to think about contraception before uh, in, in terms of condoms or going on the pill and hormonal interventions. I had, um, yeah, done research. I'd looked at other people that had been on, on medication and the pill and things like that. And it kind of for myself made um, the decision that I didn't want any hormone intervention. I hadn't affected, I hadn't manipulated my hormones in any way by the age of 24. And I wanted to keep it that way. So when I started sleeping with guys, I was going in to be like, what are my options with contraception? And, you know, one of the first things they do want to put you on is a pill. Yeah. And I was like, nope. I don't want to do that. And then there was all these other hormonal interventions and, and different um, choices. And I was like, nope, no, don't want that, don't want that. And I got to the point where I was like, yep, yeah, let's try diaphragm. And <laughs> like they were like, I haven't ordered a diaphragm for probably like a couple of decades. <laughs> I was just like, okay, like, you know, I'll, I'll try it anyway. Alas, it didn't really, it wasn't that comfortable, I have to be honest, and I don't think I necessarily used it. Like, I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to try this. And so I did end up finding other ways for contraception. But it was just one of those really, like, bizarre moments of like, oh, wow, we, we like, we get told, told about condoms, yes, but there's all these other different ways um that we can learn about ourselves and especially learning about our cycle like a really in-depth way and so I went down the the track of really understanding like when all of my mucus is changing or when my temperature is changing um being able to really track do I have particular symptoms on on Mm. any day and um especially because I didn't have I didn't menstruate for two and a half years during the anorexia uh, and when I was quite small there was just such a disconnect from my own cycle. And again, I think that's something like as women, we, we really need to encourage and foster in our younger generation is, is knowing your body, knowing those different rhythms that we go through. And that was, so yeah, it wasn't until I was 24 and had to think about contraception that I was almost forced to learn about my own cycle and dive deeper into, yeah, my, my womb space and understand her natural rhythms. So that was definitely something, another one that I I think would encourage in Mm. sex education. Yeah, beautiful. That's so, that is such an uncommon and unusual circumstance to find yourself in to like yeah. never have been on any kind of hormonal contraception and only be kind of um, broaching the topic with a doctor at the age of 24. And I think like what a gift because usually people roll into the doctor's office, they're like 15 or 16, maybe even younger. They're like wanting some kind of contraception. They don't know fuck all about any of the non-hormonal like methods or why hormonal methods can be really damaging you know they're just told to go on the pill or the implant or whatever and then boom like from the like first couple of years that they've even got a period they're straight on the hormones um and it's just amazing that like by the time you rolled in you kind of had the wherewithal and the knowledge and 
I guess like were just so much older and more prepared and equipped to have the conversation with the doctor and resist their suggestions because they're very pushy about it mm-hmm. <laughs> as well often. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're able to like make a really, I guess, empowered and considered decision about it. And like fucking hilarious. You try to diaphragm, like those things just look <laughs> so just not fun. I have never used one, but like, wow, good on you. Good. That's commitment yeah. to the natural yeah. uh, <laughs> pathway. <laughs> um, and yeah, like if, if, um, if any listeners are hearing um, Jay mentioned, like, you know, checking on the cervical mucus and temperature and different sort of cyclical signs like that. I've actually got a couple of episodes on that. There's a really good one with Dr. Madeline. We talk about the stages of the menstrual cycle and natural fertility awareness as a hormone free birth control method. Um, so definitely would oh, amazing. going back and listening to those. Cause I'm all about that shit. I definitely do the cycle tracking and document my, you know, my signs like, te- you know, basal body temp and cervical mucus and positioning mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And I feel like, you know, for someone who had had the eating disorder journey where it is just like the biggest disconnect from yourself and your body you know, that I can imagine doing all of those things Mm. to reconnect with your body and really listen to your body and your menstrual cycle and all of the messages it was sending you must've just been like one of the best possible things you could have done to re-establish a beautiful relationship and connection with your physical body again. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I I will say it was very scary though. Like it's, I I'm so appreciative now of, of, that process but I was so overwhelmed when it was for like because I just wanted like the simple option I was like well, yeah. why does it have to be so complicated and I don't know what I'm doing and this overwhelmment yeah. and I just have to like take my hat off to sisterhood because really it was that reaching out to uh, my, my friends and being like what do you do and how am I supposed to do this? And having that open conversation with the women in my life just allowed me to relax and realize that I wasn't alone in it. Um, because trying to navigate that by yourself sometimes is so confronting yeah. and normalizing that emotion of like, yes, it is like, it is understandable that you're feeling overwhelmed. We haven't been totally. empowered into this journey. Mm. So, yeah, if you've got you know, a sisterhood and a friendship group that you feel supported in that way, I definitely recommend uh, having a chat mm. and um, talking through with one another. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot. If you just go into it knowing absolutely nothing, which most of us do because we're not taught about this, we just get chucked on the pill. Like it's it's a lot. It's like, fuck that. That sounds like heaps of work. I don't want to do all of that, you know, but I, I'm, I've coached so many of my, of my friends through it and it's just like this gentle like, all right, let's just ease into this. Let's do one thing at a time and you just add a thing, you know, once you've mastered the first, like maybe you get the cycle tracking down and then you get the temperature stuff down and then you know there's there's definitely ways to ease into it but it is it's 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 a lot and it can be really overwhelming when you're first coming to it um so yeah I really appreciate that and it's just important that we're all chatting about it more and ideally you know teaching our young women and girls about this stuff and their their different options um 
from the get-go so that it's not just like, oh my God, what? That's so overwhelming when they do finally go, hey, I don't actually want to have my hormones fucked with anymore, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Because it will will feel like a barrier if they're just like, whoa. Um, But I wanted Mm -hmm. to chat about, so like, you know, talking about anorexia and bulimia, body image and things like that, you've obviously had quite a journey with it. And I was just wondering if you could tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about that journey and like where you're at now with your body image and yeah what it's kind of been like getting to where you are now excuse this unseemly interruption my darlings i must ask a wee little favor of you i'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five star ratings for the potty because as i'm sure you've noticed by now it's pretty fab and the more people who get to hear it the more people it can help reviews and ratings make it more likely to get recognized by the algorithmic gods and suggested to other listeners to check out plus they make me feel pretty good and appreciated as i continue to pour my heart and soul into creating this baby for you now i promise i don't maz over them or anything like that i mostly just read them out to lock with a big grin on my face and he says something like see you're killing it proud of you babe and then i tuck it away for a rainy day when i'm filled with self-doubt and existential dread about being self-employed so you know doing this really does make a difference and is an easy little act of support that you can take in just a minute or two by either going to spotify and leaving five stars for the show or writing a written review and leaving five stars over on apple podcasts or if you're a real overachiever you can do both well now that would be kind of crazy crazy awesome obviously like that would be super ideal would love that if you're writing a review though just be sure to only use g-rated words because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality and all that good stuff the platforms censor words like sex and won't actually show your review lame anyway oh 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 you're gonna do it right now while i wait oh yeah no no awesome great that's like yeah great idea may as well just like quickly click that five star button before we get on with it and you know forget or whatever i mean life just kind of gets in the way sometimes so i totally agree it would be best to just do it now while we're talking about it you know while while we're on the topic totally 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 yep oh Oh, I can feel those five-star reviews rolling in. Mmm, fuck yeah. All right, all right. Well, thank you much, Lee. You're a total gem, and I'll let you get back to the episode now. Love ya. Mm, yeah, of course. Uh, so uh, I can obviously only talk from my personal um, point of view, yeah. but that I will say that there's so many different uh, reasons why people um, – do go down that that path. Um, for for me, it was a um, re- relationship with self control. <clears throat> so I went to a all girls school, and I remember the catalyst for me was we were all preparing for the school ball, and everyone else was going on these crazy diets, and for some reason I didn't feel like I had the strength or self control to go on diets, and that kind of catalyze this um yeah this bulimia and then it was just this process of a couple of years on and off particularly around stressful periods but um, definitely when I didn't feel I had any control so it was like a a reflection of my powerlessness that would often come up and then uh, I was with my with a long-term partner and they caught me one day and just got me to promise that I wouldn't 
um, you know, hurt myself in in that way. And that I, I, you know, I'd gone on and off with doing a lot of self love and different um, healing modalities, and it kind of would just always come back and then it would go away and come back and so it was this really frustrating dance of like I wanted to change um but just didn't even with enrolling with with professional help I I just there was something there that was deeper um and so I did promise to my partner uh, and I didn't that was I think I was early 20s and I still to this day have never um done that again and I feel it in myself now that I just would never. But what then started to happen is I started shifting more into the anorexia because I would compensate by starting to reduce everything that I was eating and Mm. exercising for like hours a day. Um, And it was very much wrapped up in a sense of my sense of self-worth. And at that point I had very, very low self-worth. And so if I was going to have food, I'd have to earn it. Mm. and you know that was that was that was really like confronting and um eye-opening to me of like oh wow I my relationship to self is just so disconnected and it took my mom breaking down in tears like scared for her daughter's life for me to kind of get out of the my own story that was perpetuating in my head and and like getting me self-absorbed really with myself that was like, oh, what impact am I having on other people? Like what am I actually doing? And it was seeing the vulnerability of other people that I was like, whoa, this is not who I want to be in this world Um, because, yeah, I I wouldn't respond to people, you know, talking behind my back or making like snide comments. Like that would almost sometimes fuel it um, Mm. versus seeing people with the sadness that there was something about that for me as an individual that flipped for me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that that catalyzed a, um, a big process of wanting from that real intrinsic place to create an identity that I was proud of um, and, be you know, be someone for others that made me proud as well. Like I didn't like the idea that I was you know, draining people's energy or just being a source of concern rather than inspiration. And, yeah, you know, I I travelled around the world for eight months, so travelling and getting out of my um, sphere definitely, Um, started a new process and and just started to make choices based on what was um, caring, like what was caring for me and compassionate for me rather than having this real, like, um, like sergeant, like self-control, like you must like do this and you must control yourself at all times. And instead like relearning what it meant to be compassionate mm-hmm. to myself. Yeah. Um, so that was early 20s. I'm in my 30s now. So um, like it's, it's a good decade now. But like I, I definitely am still aware, like the, the body image will, will come up. Um, in terms of thought patterns, but there's so many tools that I've accumulated over the years now that I can just catch those thoughts and be like, oh, okay, what's the insecurity that's actually catalyzing this? Like, is that I need to have a, a conversation with someone? Is it that I haven't just sat with myself and kind of validated myself? Or, or do I need to actually ask other people like, hey, like, 
I'm feeling really down right now. Like, can you, can you just give me a hug? Like, so for me, physical contact, um, is very important and something that, um, some people with anorexia go through is they start to disconnect and not want any physical touch. So for me, it was learning physical touch gets me back in my body. It gets me in touch with, yeah, there's sometimes a lot of emotions and, and, and I need to be present with that and compassionate with that. So yeah, I've accumulated a lot of different tools. I have a beautiful community around me of friends and family that support me. Um, you know, I got the help that I needed at that point uh, in my 20s as well, which helped reframe. And it's a constant, constant relearning of, yeah, what it is to be a woman, where did my beliefs on what I'm supposed to look like come, where did my beliefs of needing to be in control all the time come from, um, and, yeah, just giving myself a little bit more love. <laughs> Yeah, beautiful. Um, and how did you find that it was affecting like your sex life and your relationships, like when you had the eating disorder, but also just body image mm. stuff continuing, you know, what are the main things that sort of arose for you and how did it affect those those aspects of your life? Yeah, great question. Uh, so libido definitely was lower, um, which you know, when you're restricting your diet, your your body's definitely going to divert attention to other areas. Uh, but it was linked into my self-esteem. So if I was doing well with restricting or, or exercising a lot, I felt great. So, you know, then, then you would want to be sexually engaged versus if you were having a bad day or you made the wrong choice, it would perpetuate into like, yeah, shutting down, cutting people off and and not wanting any of that physical touch so yeah for my partner it was um very very hard at the time because I was disconnecting and kind of going through this being connected then being disconnected and and not knowing how to predict that on any given day uh so it was it was like that's not just with uh, sexual relationships but also with like friends as well that not knowing when to like give you a cuddle versus when to just kind of leave you to to be by yourself. Mm. Uh, so it was very irregular yeah. in terms of my connection with other people. Mm. Um, I'm very cuddly. I'm a cuddly little thing that just loves physical contact now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am in a, in a committed and very loving relationship for the two and a half years. So, um, yeah, it, it shows and I can feel it in myself, that, that stability that I have within my sexuality now, like, and how high a sex drive I have now. And it's really interesting now that I'm in a, like, good stable weight, I take care of myself, I have a good balance between eating well and exercising, and it really reflects back uh, in sexuality and sex drive. Mm, yeah awesome so interesting um what if what do you mm. find is like uh, I guess the most helpful if if those thought patterns sneak back in and you know at the time I guess you kind of already described it was like really helpful reflecting kind of coming out of the self-centered part of it and reflecting on how you're affecting those around you and being like I don't 
want to be a drainer. I want to be an inspiration and, you know, how can I go about that? Mm. But yeah, like little tools and tips that you have in your tool belt that are the most helpful or that you use most commonly nowadays that maybe our listeners could like, you know, reach for next time they're having a bit of a moment um, around the way they feel about their body. Yeah, absolutely. So I will, I will preface like if you do need like professional help, that's obviously a different, different thing to the the little tools that Mm. I'll say. Um, And you should never feel shame for needing to reach out. Like that's what those people are trained in. Like that's the, that's the reason why they're there and they can empower you with so many incredible tools. Um, But just in terms of things that have worked for me, uh, meditation Mm -hmm. is the first thing because creating a space of stillness you can start to separate what's the chatter and what's actually going on underneath the chatter. So creating a bit of stillness, sometimes um, it can be hard to drop straight into stillness. So doing like a walking meditation where you're just being really mindful and getting back into your body, that can be great. Or I'm, I'm a dancer and come from a dancing background, so putting on you know, a a tune that I love and just moving and getting into my body and just allowing any emotion that might be there to arise Mm. uh, often can shift, uh, especially if I'm just feeling insecure and, and, you know, my brain has gone to the go-to of, um, you know, restrict. It's like, oh, I just need to soften and loosen and surrender to this moment. doesn't mean go out and do it like two-hour do a um, like sweating session as just like using music as a tool to get back into your body. Um, play, play is like me and my partner run workshops of, of around the power of play uh, because when we're in that mindset of uh, you know being in our mind a lot, we're taking ourselves very seriously mm-hmm. and we're we're forgetting the the irony and the like cheekiness and the playfulness of what it is to be human and you know the amount of incredible opportunities that we have in this life and this uh you know things that we can experience so doing whatever is playful for you whether that's solo play uh, and more introverted play or whether that's you know getting a group of friends together and and um you know playing in different ways or being yeah external or extrinsic play um community on that i would say community you know having doesn't mean i think there's a difference between um you know when as soon as you have those thoughts needing to tell everyone versus having your your close friends that you know you've set up in advance hey if i you know have negative thoughts at any point are you open to just being like reflecting back to me who I am or you know being able to give me some some boosters so set that up in advance and then you know if you are having those moments creating I guess it's it's still consent it's like hey like I'm feeling down a bit now are you available just for a quick chat and knowing that some people, it's not the best time for them. Like, and people can't support you if their cup isn't full as well. And that's nothing about you personally. It's just that's the reason why you, you know, it's good to like have a couple of people there as a support network. Um, especially with like uh, partners as well. You, you don't want your partner to be the only person that you um, 
ask for help from, like have have a couple if it's available for you, like um, or you know a psychologist or a counselor, just have some um, some support network. Totally. Uh, whether that's needing to talk or just have some play, like I, I'm always in the mindset like play, have fun. Um, and then the last point I would say is gratitude. So reconnecting with it doesn't have to be anything to do with your body. It might just be like, okay, I'm just going to sit down and for a couple of minutes I'm just going to write down things that I'm grateful for in life. And I think that can often by the end of like writing, you can sometimes naturally start to go, oh, I'm actually really grateful that I have a body. Like I might not always have the best relationship with it, but, you know, like I, I am grateful that I am in a human body and, you know, that has given me all the experiences that, that I've had or, you know, everyone has their own unique flavour, so I don't want to put um, words in people's mouths. But, yeah, gratitude is a, a huge and powerful tool. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, someone was saying to me the other day, um, you know, that the sort of opposite or the antidote for um, sadness or depression or any of those sort of emotions isn't just the, you know, isn't just to feel happy. It's actually like the virtue of gratitude because if you just sort of focus more on feeling more grateful, then sort of uh, you move further away from the misery side of things and more towards the happiness. And it's not just like a direct switch that you can make happen, but if you do sort of, yeah, reframe things from a place of gratitude, that's like a helpful little stepping stone. Um, and, you know, there's so much research around gratitude practices being like enormous for all sorts of health mm. benefits, but yeah, particularly mental health and um, yeah, cute little, little anecdote from my own <laughs> life. I got kind of bored with the old gratitude journal. I would just always forget to write in it. And um, now <laughs> I've got like strings up on my ceiling and I've got all these like colored card that I've cut into little triangular flags. And every time I, like I try to do it each day, I definitely fucking don't, I forget, but um, <laughs> I'm getting better at it. And I try to put a flag up each day and write like something that I'm grateful for a few things I'm grateful for that day. Um, and I stick mm-hmm. it up on the, on the um, string. And so it's kind of, it's looking like more and more, Uh, full and pretty each day because I add a flag and it's sort of going all the way across my room now about to like double it back yeah I didn't start it too long ago but I thought that was like a nice way to just get a little bit creative and crafty with it and I thought I'd be more motivated to remember to do it because it looks pretty and the more I put up the prettier it will look (laughs) so um yeah I'll I'll have yeah creativity is such a powerful tool yeah, totally. Yeah. So, and I just felt it, it was getting dry. I wasn't, I was like, oh, where's my journal? Like, uh, but um, yeah, I guess the motivation to like cover my roof in all of these colorful little flags is definitely the tool that I'm using to get into the, the habit of, um, of gratitude. And I was just thinking then like um, maybe, you know, when I have a, rather than just doing it like on a daily basis, if I have a thought where I'm being a bit butthurt about something or I'm, you know, having a thought about my body or um, anything that's sort of less than ideal that I want to reframe or move away from, I could be like, it could almost be like a, all right, well, that's, that's, you know, a dollar in the swear jar, but like, oh, okay, that's a flag. Got to go write a flag and put it up, you know, like, um, I kind of like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Catching myself and being like, yeah. the flag. 
got to go to a flag um, yeah. to counter counteract, counterbalance the um, the thoughts that are yeah not so helpful. Um, cool, I love that. Mm-hmm. We all have we all have them. We all yeah have them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally. Um, yeah, I'd love to do TMI. We love it, and then roll into a few more questions before we wrap up. But are you ready for TMI? We love it. All right, let's fucking do this. What do you got for us? TMI stands for too much information, um, but I think that's total total thing. And I'm all about um, chatting, chatting about openly about all of the sort of topics that are usually considered taboo or gross or shameful or embarrassing or private. So I'm just blowing all that out of the water. I'm rebranding TMI as too much inspiration. And um, yeah, I ask all of my guests for an <laughs> anecdote or a story um, that would usually be considered too much information, but uh, is now going to be talked about shamelessly and openly. Hit us. Yeah. Well, it was really interesting. I was, there was nothing that actually came to mind straight away. Um, I think because I do, at least with my friends, talk quite openly um, about many aspects of my life. So yeah, although there was a lot of excitement around that, that idea or that concept, there, there wasn't anything that actually came to mind straight away. So I'm not sure if I actually have anything to add (laughs) in this area. Oh, that's all right. I seem to have a knack for picking guests who are like, oh, I don't even believe in, t- like, there's uh, there's no such thing as TMI for me. It's amazing. Um, yeah, because I know, I know, like, a lot of listeners have sort of said to me they find it really helpful hearing people talk, people talk, because they don't have, um, I guess they don't have conversations in their friendship groups as much but yeah I totally I totally talk about literally everything and anything um maybe I can think of one to pop in this segment what have I got what have I got um it is tricky isn't it when like everything you talk about is like basically TMI like my entire job is talking about stuff that isn't talked about um (laughs) yeah and I I think just because we, we have dived deep quite like into like eating disorders and vulnerability, like that, that can be bad. Like even I will, I will share that I definitely um, with these topics, there is a lot of self-consciousness that comes up of like, oh, am I going to label myself now as the woman with the eating disorder? Or like I also, as we mentioned earlier, do erotic blueprints. And, you know, the first time that I said cock on a, a podcast, my, my internal world was going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, what are people going to think? Like, you're a doctor. This is – you're supposed to be more, like, conservative than this. Mm. And so, yeah, I think it's been a process, but I think to the point now where I've had to do outside of these podcasts, look at myself and be like, oh, well, why do I – why am I so self-conscious around this? Um, mm. and, and why do I not want to – share or um, be labeled like especially the prevalence of eating disorders like and it's because there's a shame culture around it you know Mm -hmm. so um, or sexuality you know there's a shame culture um, 
and well, depending on on the gender and your um, individual backgrounds, your religion, things like that. Some encourage it more, some don't. And so, yeah, it was a huge journey, I think, for me, mm. trying to rewire that and then be comfortable being on podcasts and being able to share. But that's why I'm like, oh, there's there's no particular story. And I'm usually I usually love telling stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky when you put on the spot. I totally understand that. I'm um I'm just trying to think of something myself, and I'm like, damn, I feel like everything I talk about could be the perfect story, but nothing is speaking to mind. I mean, right now I've got this weird thing going on where my nipples are peeling, and I thought it was sunburn. I thought like I'd burnt oh. my nips. Um, well, I did. I burnt my nips. I sunburnt the shit out of them, and they peeled. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. It's happened a few times because I like to get my kid off in the sun um, and I'm pasty. (laughs) And and then like the next time I was out in the sun, I put like, I've got this pink zinc that I use on my lips. Um, It looks like I'm wearing lipstick, but I'm actually Mm -hmm. being incredibly sun smart. Um, And I put them on, put like pink zinc on my nips, um, which I thought was genius. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It turns out they're still peeling and I definitely haven't been out in the sun for a while. So I don't know what's going on there. I mean, you're the doctor, but yeah, my, my nipples are currently flaking off guys. I'm medical. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just get, some, uh, get some nipple tassels. I've just recently, um, I've started getting into burlesque and it's just like the most liberating thing to get like nipple tassels. So nice. maybe you should just get like some sun baking nipple tassels. <laughs> Totally. I know. Yeah. I just like a little like sun smart or a smiley face on there. Yeah. Made out of like beta material, just tiny little. Yeah. All right. right. (laughs) Wetsuit material. Yeah. Oh my God. I could market that. Um, Cool. Well, anyway, let's let's get back on track. I was just wanting Mm -hmm. to hear a little bit about... I guess like, I mean, you've just got so many cool projects and creative outlets and movements and like things that you're involved in. Um, so before we wrap up, I'd love you to just like chat a little bit about what you've go- got going on. Like, you know, you seem to have a taste for being a radical, courageous, courageous change maker and um, a bit of a trailblazer. <laughs> and I had a little look into like the Liberators International and like all those kind of events you're putting on. And yeah, I just think it's such a vibe. So if you want to just like give any of that a bit of a plug, then go hard. Amazing. Thank you. Um, so yeah, Liberators was started in 2014 um, and we, we toured a bit with that. So it involves social experiments, which is obviously we've talked about today. Uh, and then there's also like community dances. I ran cacao ceremonies for a bit with them uh, and different like to the power of play, different workshops and connection activities. Uh, I then helped uh, start a production and fringe group called the hairy godmothers so that's kind of my energy has been diverted away from liberators into the hairy godmothers now so i'm currently touring we do a fringe show um, called disney and drag once upon a parody (laughs) and we oh it's so much fun uh and the other show that we do which i'm very passionate about is pussy Mm. and it's five women um like cisgendered women with vulvas that get up on stage and use different modalities. So I come from a dance background, so we have dance, singing, monologues, poetry. Uh, 
like anything you can think of, uh, live um, written songs, like original songs. We have one song that's a whole song, about seven minutes, all on the clitoris. It's brilliant. Uh, so so I think that process of being creative with women and making a fringe show that inspired the diversity of what it is to be a woman and yeah we all show our vulnerability we all show our strength we all show our sexuality it's it's such a diverse piece and so for me my passion is within um, performance so acting and uh, dancing and I do sing as well so that's where my energy is focused a lot. Uh, I do also run dance series uh, in Perth. And the main thing that I'm focusing on is the erotic blueprints as well, being the first person in Western Australia and one of four mm-hmm. in Australia. Um, and I've also combined the blueprints with dance, uh, oh, which was perfect. a fascinating exploration as well. Yeah, especially, so I do come... Like I've, I've taught in dance hall, uh, hip-hop and heels. As I mentioned, starting to do a bit more burlesque, so uh, aiming to perform a bit more within the burlesque realm as well. So, yeah, so looking at using these different creative expressions to reconnect to our body and reconnect to who we are as an individual and empowering, like, all of the women in Pussy, other than myself, had never done choreographed dance and especially not on a stage in front of a couple hundred people. Mm. And to the point now where they've learnt a routine, uh, they've gotten up on stage, they feel so empowered by having both structure and freeform movement and being witnessed in that. Mm. And I remember, like, I didn't think much of it because I've, you know, I had a couple of decades dancing, choreographing and performing because I grew up um, choreographing for all the drag queens in Perth uh, and dancing Amazing. in the nightclubs over here. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'd forgotten because it had become so ingrained in me, but seeing people that have that doubt of, oh, I can't do that, I then rewrite that for themselves because we step through it, we go nice and like easy, we make sure everyone feels confident and then we do it. We create a space where you can ask as many questions as you want and, uh, you know, step through everything as many times as we want. And uh, for me, one of those moments of realising the impact was we were out at a, um, a club and the, the song that we do our dance to came on and all of a sudden all of the the other women in the group like ran to me. They're like, we're going to do the dance. I was like, we're in a nightclub like, what? or like a bar or the top of a bar. I was like, what? Um, and they were so inspired that they just wanted to do it at any opportunity. Uh, and it happened the other day actually um, being over in Adelaide as well is that, you know, when you created the shared experience, you just want to showcase it. You want to share it. Uh, and so that's what I say to people. Like, if you want to try something, if you want to explore something new, like it's never too late to start a, um, you know, dance routine, singing, like art, uh, you know, uh, visual art, whatever you want to do, it's never too late to start. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And there's just no feeling like it. Like, yeah, I love love mm. hearing about these women from Pussy basically doing flash dances in the 
I mean, flash mobs in, oh, yes, yeah. um, in the clubs and yeah, I kind of want to move to Perth and get involved. It's um, something ah! I'm really missing about my sort of Melbourne lifestyle is all of that sort of performing and live music and creativity and yeah, it's just food for the soul. And it is, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, it's not for me or, oh, I'm not creative. And I'm like, nah, bullshit. Like, yeah, there's, mm-hmm. you just haven't found a way in yet. Um, but it is. Mm. Or you still create self-judgment around yourself. So I think with creativity, it's going in knowing that it doesn't have to be perfect, especially for me. Like I've I've got experience in all art forms other than like drawing or like visual art. Mm. And I remember that started recently, I've got a a dear friend, uh, Ren, that's uh, helped me start to explore artwork. And it was sitting down being like, okay, this doesn't have to be perfect. (laughs) It just has to be a reflection of how I'm feeling right now in this moment. And it was really liberating to give myself permission just to explore colours and shapes and artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. It's so tricky because we're all just, you know, brought up in this world where perfectionism is rewarded and we're kind of conditioned to feel like, well, if you're not going to do a good job of it and it's not going to look sick, then, like, don't bother. Um, And I totally, if I, like, sit down to draw something, you know, it's very easy to be critical and be like, oh, whatever. Um, Yeah, so Mm -hmm. I, I definitely find things like dance and play and performing a little bit easier because... I'm less of a perfectionist with that, but also it's like ephemeral. So like you've done it and it's gone and you can't really, I mean, if it's drawing on a paper, you can keep looking at it and being like, that doesn't look how I wanted it to. But if you're moving, you're kind of like in this embodied experience and, you know, you're getting all the benefits of the endorphins and the, yeah, the like physical flow and exercise um, and expression. So that's definitely my kind of art form of choice but I feel like everyone can find something Mm. in yeah in some sort of creative outlet um yeah hey me again if you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on I want to mention that you can also buy some dope merch from my website and get yourself a labia lounge tote tea togs yep you heard that right. I even have labia lounge bathers or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back. Or if fashion isn't your passion, you can donate to my buy me a coffee donation page, which I actually call buy me a sweet chai latte because I'll be the first to admit I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. Um, so you can do a once off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. Every bit helps because it's not cheap to put out a sweet podcast into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me financially in this way. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself, which is at this early stage in double L history, just the spare bedroom at my house. (laughs) Anyway, I'll pop the links in the show notes later. So beautiful. Amazing. Well, I definitely think we should, um, I mean, I probably won't hear back from Jaya. So I feel like we could do another epi one day about the erotic blueprints when you're not touring and being a total boss bitch. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been really beautiful chatting with you about all of this, like kind of loosely about body image and self-worth and a bit about like just the human experience and, you know, those social experiments, which are just so fascinating and yeah, love it. No idea what I'm going to call this episode because it's, it's sort of, 
<laughs> I don't know. Get rid of everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can name it. You can name it after your um your wetsuit nips. <laughs> That'll be that. <laughs> oh my god! There we go. Yeah, All the, right. The core <laughs> message. <laughs> like, what? Totally. They're not going to know what they're getting. Um, beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jay. Hopefully, um, we can connect. I might come up to Perth sometime and see if you're around for a soy chai or a bit of a play. Absolutely. Um, and we can meet in person. But yeah, Have really appreciate you coming into the lounge. Hope you had as much fun as I did. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I'll put all links to your amazing, you know, the hairy godmothers and all the bits and bobs in the show notes as well. And, yeah, I'd, I'd encourage you all to check out Jay's work. If you can even r- roll into a live show, that would be ideal. Um, I'm sure it sounds like you've got a lot going mm-hmm. on at any given time. So maybe by the time this yep. is people might have missed the fringe stuff, but, you know, you're always up to something. So, yeah, I hope I can get along to a show one day as well. Absolutely. Come drink fringe. Fringe time is so much fun. Yeah. All right, my love. I'll speak to you soon and see you later, everyone. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. And that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the labia lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.